In the fall each year we all congregate The bound all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a precious Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia faith Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. I'm your host, Seth Saunders, joined as always by my co-host, James Kim. Big one this weekend, brother. Business trip to Rocky Top. How you feeling? I'm feeling good, man. Honestly, everybody always says that the most dangerous team is a wounded team, a team that doesn't have anything to play for. But after the showing Tennessee put on last week against Missouri, I'm not really sure. Like, you punch this team in the mouth, and I think they're just going to crumble, you know, like a deck of cards. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way, man. I just, I, I know there's consternation about this because of the venue, and I think that's valid, right? I'm not not debating that. Yeah. Any kind of SEC road game is a difficult task. It's just roster wise and what you've seen with your own two eyes. What about Tennessee gives you pause in the matchup with us? What about Tennessee makes you go, man? I don't. I don't feel good about this. Or, you know, the ones I had a trepidation about were Mizzou and Ole Miss, right? Because I, I thought they had weapons that had the potential to hurt us, and there were scenarios where you could see one of those teams putting a game together where they could knock the dogs off. I just – and maybe I'm just totally missing something or totally misreading it, man, but I just – I do not see it with this Tennessee team or this roster. I mean, Mizzou had their way – with Tennessee last weekend and they didn't exactly look like world beaters against Kentucky either. And so I just don't know, like, what is this Tennessee team's signature win this year? What is the, what is the game that they won where you go, Oh boy, better look out for Tennessee. I, I just, I don't know. And the, the funny thing is, is like everybody's talked about the improved defense for Tennessee and they have improved. I mean, they put, they've had a lot of sacks, but they've been getting gashed in the, run game and if our run de- run game looks like it did last week I mean, it's gonna be a long day for that tennessee defense well look if you're making the trip to knoxville this weekend need to do a few things man need to check out the classic city collective event that they are having there in knoxville go out and see them also if you are not a member of the 21 club hop on that so many benefits they had an awesome event last friday night at high bar they host a great tailgate at home games it's just it, it's a great organization to be a part of they do fantastic work with georgia's student athletes if you're loading the cooler up this morning for the road trip out west to tennessee make sure you got it full of peach state lights unofficial beer of georgia but certainly the official beer of a dog's tailgate and then to gear up man make sure you got the have her supply in the suitcase, whether it's a Saturday in Athens hat, a natty hat, uh, one of their awesome dogs t-shirts, whatever it may be, make sure you have some have her supply lined up for the apparel game on game day weekend. So three partners that we love, three partners that have been really great to us. So please support them as best you can. Um, here's my thoughts, man. And well, let's talk about this first. Old Miss game. I know we both had some worries about maybe that offense gashing us a little bit in the in the stretch game and getting outside with us and maybe Jackson Dart doing some things to hurt our defense. And it looked like for, you know, the first three drives that it was going to be a back and forth kind of down to the fourth quarter type game. I thought they looked a little bit out of sorts. You could definitely see that the defense was missing pop, but then it's like everybody kind of settled in, got their bearings, and it was off to the races, man. I mean, were you were you surprised at the outcome? I don't think either one of us expected it to be that kind of score. I thought we thought they would win, and and I don't think either one of us were real concerned about them winning. But I don't know that either one of us prognosticated them dropping a fifty burger on the lane train. The offense didn't really surprise me. I mean, I didn't expect them to score 50, but the defense settling in and then completely shutting them down for uh, three quarters, that surprised me, especially the way they looked in the first two drives. I mean, I expected them to, you know, get into the 
rookies after the first two drives because they were pretty much moving the ball at will. But as has been evident throughout the season, I mean, uh, Schumann and Champ, they just, and Kirby, they just make great in game adjustments, whether it be from quarter to quarter or from half to half. The defense has just adjusted every single week. Every, every week, it seems like they move the ball at will, first drive or first couple of drives, and then the defense just tightens the clamps. I mean, the most points we've given up all season is, what, 21? And it seems like every week we're down 7-10-0. So it's just it's amazing to me how much the de- defense reorganizes itself after that initial, like, punch in the face. Um so uh, the defense has been was very impressive after those first couple of drives, and I mean they pretty much shut Junkins down completely, and he was just gashing us left and right. I thought it was interesting too, man. Like, you know, again, you mentioned they scored on the first drive. I think that's four straight games where the opponent has scored on the open drive. It's almost like now, you know, opposing team scores in the opening drive, drink. <laughs> like, it's just yeah, you just got to bank on it type thing. I also think what's big in this and what's been big in this all season is the offense's resilience when behind, right? Like, so when they are trailing, and I think Seth Emerson has posted this stat a couple different times in his articles over the over the course of the season, but it's some insane number. Like, the offense has gotten the ball 18 or 19 times when they've been, I think, trailing or tied, and they've scored on something like 14 of the 19, which is incredible, right? I mean, that... That's what you want is an answer and to kind of keep things tight and allow the defense that space to figure things out. So, yeah, I think that's true. For me, C.J. Allen was the story of the game. I thought for being as young as he is and being as unseasoned as he is to step into that role and not just play well, but, I mean, homie, he was was one of the best defensive players on the field. He led the team in tackles, had a sack. He was very noticeable all over the field. I just, I thought he was outstanding. And if he can play that way in Pop's absence, and then when Pop comes back, you have that ability to then rotate him in. Man, I just, it, it just gives them more depth and more weapons, which is which is what you want at this time of year. Is for kind of like a roller coaster, right? Like we're just escalating up that first hill. And you want to hit the top, man, right around CFP playoff time and be rocking and rolling. Yeah. And so I think I think they're gearing towards that. I also think, too, and we talked about this before, I had I had read an article or saw a guy on a show or something, and he's seen him. Georgia looks like a board football team to me. And when they're not a board football team, they're dangerous. And I think there's just a lot of merit to that. And Kirby talked a little bit about that. I can't remember if it was on Pat McAfee's show or on game day this weekend, where the thing that they have had to fight the most is entitlement from the guys coming into the program where they're like, well, you know, we're back-to-back national champions, and I'm just as much a part of that because I came to Georgia, you know, I made the right choice. And he's like, you know, nobody's earned any of that. You know, you aren't a part of that. And so trying to get these kids to buy in that I've still got to do all the work and I've still got to put in the time and I've still got to be – present and energetic when it's time to perform. I thought that was interesting and telling and you can tell they've kind of fought that. And look, if we're being honest, if you've watched this team this year, I think some of that rings true, right? Like they've had slow starts kind of takes them a little while to get engaged. And then I think the two outings really three, I think, cause I think Florida, they were motivated too. But if you go Kentucky, Florida, Ole Miss, I mean, Nobody in the country is beating those teams. The Georgia team that showed up in those three games, nobody's beating that team. They're just not. Yeah. And so I, I think if that team can figure out how to be that consistently, I mean, we're going to see them boys in Houston come January. I mean, I, that's just how I feel about it. What about um, what about Tennessee does make you nervous, though? What about that roster or what about what they do or even just what about the environment makes you feel like, you know, I've got some trepidation about this or I've got some anxiety about this. See, for me, it's everybody keeps talking about the environment and how loud it is and stuff like that. It is loud. It is. It's a tough place to go. But for me, Jordan Hare is is much more of the the scarier place because of the, the bad juju surrounding that Jordan Hare than going to Rocky Top. For me, it's, you know, Memories of horrible things at Knoxville is the game you were at, unfortunately, with the Chubb injury. Yeah. 
but yeah. I can't think of like horrible, god awful things and like gut wrenching events that happened at um in Knoxville other than that game. Like I can remember being like just you know gut punched over and over again in Jordan Hare. So, but this it just for me like I feel like it, when you go to Auburn that if that game is remotely close at any point in time, that fan base is going to be engaged for the majority of the game. I feel like in Knoxville, you get up by two, three scores, 17 points, more than likely that fan base is going to, you know, kind of disappear at some point, like early on. And it's just kind of half empty stadium. Like for example, the year we won 41, nothing, and that wasn't a blowout in the first half, but at halftime, that stadium was relatively empty. So it's just, I don't know. They just, they don't really seem to have a whole lot of faith in their team um, when they get punched. And I just don't see it. I feel like this they're probably going to score early because that just seems to be our MO this year. They're going to get be raucous and everything like that. And then I just don't see them stopping our, our offense at all, which is just, they're just not that, their defense is not that good. Um, if their defense plays like it did last week, we're going to run it right down their throat. Kendall looks the best he's looked the entire time he's been in Athens. And I think that the running backs are going to have a field day. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on the environment there. Even when we were there in 2015, which was obviously a good day for the balls with kind of how that game turned out. I never like looked at Chris and was like, dude, it's deafening. Like, I, I can't hear myself think it's so loud. I just I wasn't struck by it that way. Um I will say this, okay? I think stadiums and environments, for the most part, is sort of a moving pendulum, right? And some of that is dictated by how good the program is. And so, <laughs> whoo, excuse me. I think some of that is like, you know, dude, in the 90s, I'm sure Neyland was awful to go play in because they were really, really good in the 90s. But I think, you know, over the last 20 plus years, they just haven't been a national player, right? As much as none of them want to admit that, they haven't been. I mean, and so I think that dictates things, to your point. I think the fans kind of go, well, here we go again. You know, we're, there's no way this is happening. And I think you've seen that a little bit at Sanford. Like, dude, Sanford yeah. is electric now. And it is a difficult, difficult place to go and play. And... If we're having an honest conversation, I don't know that that's always been the case. I don't know that even when Coach Rick was there, that that was a place that was daunting at all times. I think sometimes it was, you know, like 2013 LSU or there's myriad other examples, blackout game in 07. But I think consistently it probably wasn't one where, you know, the stadium was as much of a factor as the team itself. And, and I feel that way about Neyland now. I just don't, I don't think it has the same juice to your point too, man. I just, the offense is going to score and I think they're going to score when they want to score. And so like, I just don't have this trepidation that I've had in former years, even in Kirby's earlier years. I, I mean, dude, I saw some of the metrics this week, on the offense and they're performing at essentially a mirror image clip of what the offense did last year. And dude, that was an outstanding offense. And I think we've been seeing that like, dude, they're just, they do what they want. They game plan and do what they want. And it's freaking outstanding. And so I, I don't, I just don't see Tennessee disrupting that, especially with as good as the offensive line has been playing, especially to your point. Like, dude, we texted about this. If Kendall's healthy, we are a problem because yeah. you pair what he looked like last week with how Dejan is every week and then what we're able to do on the edge and then, dude, getting Brock back. I mean, dude, we haven't talked about that. That guy is a mutant, like just an absolute freaking mutant. Like the fact that he not only was back but then played the way he did. I mean, we talked on the show last week about, you know, Tua came back quick, but he wasn't having to move and block and all these type things. And, dude, like it looked like Brock. Like, it didn't look like 80% Brock. It just looked like Brock. <laughs> and so, yeah, exactly. I don't know, man. That, that, guy, that guy's a freak of nature. I, I can't – I mean, I expected him to get, like, some, you know, 
little play here or there, some like glory play because it was the last game in Sanford. And for him to come out and, you know, what he, I think he had several catches and a touchdown and he was out there blocking and just doing his normal thing. And it was just like, I was yeah. excited to see him out there and excited to see him start. And I thought it was just going to be like he was going to get a couple plays and then get pulled out because it was just, you know, the last game in Sanford. And man, I was shocked. And you could tell that it, the place was juiced to see him out there. And, it was great for the offense to see him out there, but it was like, you know, they are a well-oiled machine right now. And a key thing is, is they are getting healthy, um, which is one thing we haven't talked about. Like this is yeah. as Brock gets healthy and it's the first time all season. They even mentioned it in the, um, the game uh, that Brock and Ladd have played together this season when, because yeah. Ladd wasn't really healthy and till Vanderbilt, and then Brock got hurt. And as Brock gets healthy, this will be the first time they've both been healthy all season. So, I mean, that's a huge, huge boon for the offense that really doesn't need a boon at this point. So it's yeah. just I, I'm excited to see where they how the wrinkles that Bobo will throw in with those two. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think the evidence of that was on Lad's touchdown, right? They they pulled that up and showed it on the telestrator. Yeah. Oh yeah, where where Brock sucked all coverage inside the hash, and then. You know, Lad's one on one. There's a big enough window for Carson to make the throw, and the safety was late and touchdown. You know, and so I, I do think that is what folks discounted about his absence. Was look, it's not just the catches and the yards and all that. It's it's what he forces the opposition to do and the attention that he requires, and thus gives other guys lanes and opportunities to to make a play. And I will say this too, man. I just think it's another argument that and which kind of frustrates you and makes you sad. But I really think if he hadn't missed the time, we would be having serious conversations about him going to New York, which I think justifiably he should be. Like if we're having conversations about Marvin Harrison going and oh, Marvin Harrison's the best player in the country, then it's not a genuine conversation if then Brock Bowers is not also included in that conversation. Um, so yeah, that, that part of it rubs me a little bit. Uh, all right, well, look, let's pick some games. This is it. How did you last week? Uh, six and four for me, five and five for you. The one different game we had was Texas. You took Texas. I took TCU. Five and five. I'll take it. It's still uh still five hundred. I'll take it. Just getting my behind beat this year. I'm real angry about it. Although a seven three in the pool, so maybe I should just start putting my pool picks on here so that I can make up some <laughs> ground on you. <laughs> I'm gonna force so you to do it. I have no idea what I did in the pool. It's been it's been rough the past couple of weeks. All I all I know is every week that that my wife reminds me she's kicking my ass. So um <laughs> I know that. <laughs> so homie, we got a weird docket this week. I'm gonna start with we're gonna kind of bounce around a little bit because we're we're kind of searching for ten games, but I am compelled by this one. Let's go let's go game one in the American. SMU, who has just been blowing the doors off of people. Uh, going to the Liberty Bowl to play Memphis, dude, SMU 6-0 in the American. I mean, they, they control their own destiny. And Memphis, I think, has been a fun football team, a good football team all year. SMU is an eight-and-a-half-point road favorite going to play the Tigers. How do you feel about that? I actually saw this when I did our poll picks this week, and um, they're both 8-2, and two, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah. I saw the I saw the spread and I was kind of surprised. I know SMU's blowing people out, but it's in Memphis. Um, ugh, and I stayed away from this one because I was like, I looked at the spread and I was like, my initial thought was SMU, but I was like, I saw the spread and I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna touch on this one. But of course, you picked for this. Yeah, we're coming I, high I guess out the I'm gate. Going, I want to put your brain in a pretzel to start. I, I I'm probably gonna go with uh, the Mustangs. I, I like SMU. Um, I mean, their offense has just not been stopped all season long. There, and I'm not sure Memphis can keep it. I mean, I think SMU wins handedly. The only thing the way I see Memphis covering this is a backdoor cover. Um, I, I think SMU rolls in it. Uh, SMU was my original pick in the when I was going through the pool, so I'll stick with that. I'll go with my gut. Yeah, man, I'm taking the Mustangs. They've been my – I've told you this before, but each year I kind of settle on like three teams that I kind of ride each year from a spread perspective. And SMU, pun intended, has just been such a pony to ride. I mean, homie, they have been fantastic. Like, uh, so, yeah, I, I'm taking them. I, their offense is crazy. I mean, they are – they're just – this is, again, and 
you know this, but one of my arguments about why I love a bigger playoff, because I think teams continue to evolve as the season goes on. And like, dude, SMU has found their stride and found out who they are as a football team. Also, a little side tangent on SMU. They're joining the ACC. You know, they took like zero TV money for something like, I, man, I can't remember. It's something outrageous, like five or six of the first years of the contract. And it's essentially the SMU money just said, yeah, we don't care. We'll, we'll cover it. <laughs> and so, man, I'm telling you something. With NIL in play, SMU is a real spicy program to me, like to watch over the next five to ten years because, homie, they were NIL before NIL was a thing, right? And so, yeah, like, I mean, I just – they are very interesting and very motivated. They want to be relevant. They pushed really, really hard to get in the ACC and be a power five. And so, like – yeah, man, I, I kind of I like what they got going on. Plus, man, they got they got to have some of the most underrated unis in America. Just oh, they're great, nice, they're spectacular. yeah, great, great unis. So yeah, I'm going. I'm with you. I'm taking SMU. Okay, this is like the easiest pick ever. I don't even know why I put these on because I know what you're going to pick. But college game day in Harrisonburg this week at your alma mater, <laughs> App State coming to town to try to ruin a Sun Belt party for the Dukes. And did JMU eight and a half point home favorite? A little closer than I thought it was going to be, to be honest with you. I mean, I know App State, good football team, and got the history and all those type things. But man, JMU has been an absolute wagon. Got some unfortunate news this week from the NCAA, but Virginia Attorney General and other politicians in the Commonwealth are fighting to hopefully get a better result for the Dukes. Um, free JMU, hashtag that. Uh, but yeah, again, I don't know why I'm asking this. I know where you're going to go, but. How much are the yeah. Dukes winning, my brother? Tell me that. Should I put real money on this? I, I think they're going to win by three scores. Um, I, they're just steamrolling people. Other than, I think their closest games were against Marshall and Old Dominion. And yeah, both right. on the road. And they're just, they're steamrolling people. And every game the past couple of weeks have been relatively close for about the first 20 minutes and about with 10 minutes left in the half, they just take off and I don't know. They just like flip the switch and they're just like, all right, you know, we're done playing with our food and we're going to just beat the crap out of you. And it ends up being like a 40 to 10, 43, 17 game every single time. So uh, their offense is unstoppable right now. Um, They just, every year they just find a new quarterback you know, through the transfer portal, someone who was, you know, when they were in FCS, they were the quarterback was FBS previous year, and then now it's just someone who was at a big, uh, bigger school, had a P five school, and they bring him down and just plug and play. And this year it's Jordan McLeod, and he's been absolutely amazing and put up stellar numbers. And you know, wish he had another year. Let me put it that way. So I think the Duke's role. I don't think it's close, and uh, going for that perfect season. Yeah, no chance. I'm not taking the Dukes in this. I mean, first off, I think you're gonna have a motivated bunch because they're they're gonna dude. They got a national stage, right? Game day is gonna be there. They're on at two o'clock, which is a nice time. You're kind of this pocket time, so you're gonna get some eyeballs there, um, dude. It's tough to play at Bridgeforth. Like, it's just tough. That is a really really good home environment. And America, y'all better get used to this. Y'all better get used to game day going to Harrisonburg. Y'all better get used to JMU being good. Like, I've said this on this show. They are the best football program in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and it is not close. And I don't think they're going anywhere. They got the resources. They got a great ecosystem to support it. They've got a good culture. That fan base and that alumni base loves the Dukes. And, I mean, dude, tailgates, good culture there. I just, yeah, I love everything about it. Um, And I say that begrudgingly as a William Mary alma mater. But, uh, yeah, I'm taking the Dukes, baby. They're going to roll over, over the Mountaineers. All right, game three on the docket, big Pac-12 matchup. Homie, Utah gave Washington all they wanted last weekend. Utah now going to, I'm going to say, surprising Arizona. Arizona sitting at 7-3, and 5-2 and two in the Pac-12, 17th in the most recent CFP rankings. Uh, Arizona, it, I mean, it's basically a coin flip, right? It's a half point, so it's essentially a pick them. Where, where are you sitting on this one? I, dude, look, looks like Utah's found a little bit of juice. Maybe Washington is good for any offense that ails, but uh, looks like Utah's found a little offensive juice, which is kind of dangerous given the prowess of their defense. So how do you feel about this one? Oh, this one's tough for me because Arizona last week should have 
should have just demolished Colorado. I mean, they're a much better football team. And they're, it, what surprised me the most was their, their defense did not get pressure. They're the only team this year to not really put pressure on Shador Sanders. And it's like, okay, if you're not going to put pressure on Shador Sanders with that offensive line, what's going to happen when you play another when a quarterback who will actually whose design their offense is designed to run the football first with their quarterback? So I don't know. I, I'm kind of torn with this. Um, I, I'm I'm going to stick with Utah. You, you know, I, I love the Utes, so I'm going to go with Utah. Yeah, so this, uh, this is a pure just kind of gut thing. I'm going to take the Wildcats, and this is why. I, I think if you're Utah, you go on the road to Husky Stadium, you play in a monster game, a lot of emotion, and I think a lot of letdown too because that, that was kind of – I think a game. that's a game if they win, that's kind of a, a season definer, right? Like you look back on the 2023 season, if you're a Utes fan, you go, yep, we went into Husky Stadium and we spoiled Washington's perfect season and they're – you know aspirations for a national championship or whatever it may be and so i think there is some letdown on that also didn't i thought the quarterback got he got hurt right is he 100 healthy gonna play i didn't see news on that so i think that changes the dynamic a little bit too um also i just think home fieldness is is big too so yeah i with it being a, a pick em like that i mean i think this is a fun game this is one i will certainly watch on saturday but yeah i'm gonna go with the wildcats plus maybe i can steal one from you so that may influence it as well but yeah that's where that's where i'm rolling with that one all right let's go game four here how about this one how about north carolina clemson tell you why this is interesting to me clemson has you know they come off the the whole Dabo thing with what was it, Tyler from Spartanburg? <laughs> yes. Um, they get they get the a plant. win. Yeah, yeah. North Carolina's having a nice year. I I think again probably a little short of what they had hoped. Eight and two, four and two in the ACC. Still one of the better quarterbacks in America in Drake May. I know there've been some more murmurs this week about Mac Brown's future, but they came out and said that Mac's going to be back next year. Clemson is a seven and a half point home favorite at Death Valley. This is why I think this is interesting. Like, that kind of caught me off guard a little bit. So, how do you feel about that? Once again, this is a spread I saw in our pool, and I was like, this spread stinks out loud. I don't get this spread. Stinks out loud. I'm taking the Tar Heels all day long. I don't know if they're going to win, but I'm taking the spread. I don't care if it's in Clemson. It could be, you know, at nighttime, you know, in Death Valley 2.0. I don't care. I'm taking the Tar Heels to cover this because it just doesn't make any sense. Clemson Clemson is not a not back because they beat a mediocre Notre Dame team. I'm sorry, yeah. they're not. They're just yeah. They're a mediocre team themselves. Not not to say North Carolina's world beaters, but talent they have the better quarterback. So yeah. at the end of the day, that's where you always go. I'm I, I agree with you. Drake May is better than Kate Klubnick. And I think that top to bottom roster wise, I can't believe I'm saying this. I think that probably North Carolina is just a better football team. Uh, they have the better weapons on the edge. They have a better quarterback. I'm going with North Carolina. I would not. I actually think North Carolina is going to win, but um, I definitely think they cover at worst. Nothing about this line makes sense to me. Like I understand Clemson being a favorite uh, and I'm, okay with that to be honest with you given the home field and maybe they got a little momentum going or whatever it may be but dude that's a big number and i i hate it <laughs> i mean I, there's no chance i'm not taking unc like I, I just and again there's reasons there's big buildings in vegas so maybe i'm the idiot but this just seems like stealing i, I think carolina i'm with you man i think they could win the game straight up not not just cover the spread so yeah, I'm taking them. That is a that is a no brainer pick for your boy. So yeah, that's who I'm taking. All right, you're you're gonna love where I'm going with this game five on the docket. Gonna go with my darling of the 2023 season, the Running Rebels, going to Falcon Stadium to play Air Force in a monster Mountain West matchup. Both eight and two, both five and one in the Mountain West. Air Force, a two-and-a-half-point home favorite after a humbling, humbling loss to the Black Knights of Army. So where are you sitting on this one? 
before uh before that straight up demolishing i probably would have gone air force but um i like what unlv is doing i really do they've been really impressive this year so i'm going with the rebels i'm going with uh from going back i'm gonna age us both going back from who would you say is our the most famous person we know from unlv back in our childhood oh dude back- this is this this is not close not close Larry Johnson. It's a shark. It's a oh, shark. Oh. Larry, I, I, I'm thinking. I'm thinking player. So, well, yes. Oh, okay. that, well, yes, yes, yes. Then I would go. I would go. Grandmama, Larry Johnson. Yeah, Grandmama. Yes. Okay. But yes, you're yeah, right. I think, you're right. Dude, I think. I think for us, like in the '90s, dude, I think Larry Johnson's pretty super famous, right? I mean, that UNLV team was, dude, they were a revelation, yep. and so they, yeah, and. Larry Johnson playing with Zoe in Charlotte for the Hornets and like, dude, they were they were something, man. And yeah, Zoe was dude was uh, Larry Johnson was in Space Jam, wasn't he? He was one of the players in Space Jam, right? I'm pretty sure he was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, he was famous. So yeah, a hundred percent, you're correct that Larry Johnson is most famous. But dude, Jerry Tarkanian is like cultural. I oh, feel I know. like also. But yeah, all right, we'll go one A one B. We're really aging that? ourselves here. We're going really aging ourselves. <laughs> There's probably a portion of the listener base that's going to hear this and go, I don't know who either one of those people are. Well, that means you need to educate yourself. Wikipedia. I think there was a 30 for 30 or one of those on those UNLV teams, which um, I'm almost positive there was, which is worth a watch, man, because it, it was fascinating. And so many personalities on that team. But, yeah, so I'm going to take UNLV too. You know, I'm. I just like what they do, man. Uh, you know that offense is is our is William Mary's offense. So like, I, I dig what they do, and I think doing it with that type of talent is cool. I also think it's a fu- it's a good story for Barry Odom too, and I think his impact should be talked about. Um, I will say this, man: Falcon Stadium is a very very difficult place to go and play and get a win. But this will be a fun game to watch, man. It's on CBS Sports Network, three thirty on Saturday. That is that is one I will be checking. I have, I have kids' soccer tournament this weekend, so it's kind of a tough tough draw for the early slate. But uh, dude, talk about the win of all wins in their bracket. They're all done by three thirty. So oh, that's I got the fantastic. entire three thirty through nighttime window to like watch games, which is gonna be awesome. So okay, yeah, I think that's a fun one. And Mountain West implications, which is also great. Let's do, what are we on, game six here? Let's go game six, Sunflower Showdown, K-State, Kansas, at the booth. Kansas State is a nine-and-a-half-point road favorite in the Sunflower Showdown. You like an EMA in this one, or are you Rock Chalk Jayhawking and waving the week? I think this is this spread is solely based off of Bean's health, right? I mean, yeah. it's un, it's unknown. It's up in the air at this point. Yeah. Um, I know he practiced a little bit. Um, Leopold said that he practiced a little bit. I'm I'm going based off the fact that he's probably not going to play based off of what that injury we saw on Saturday. He's probably not going to play. That was not a – the body is not m- meant to bend that way. Um, yeah, yeah, 100%. So I'd be shocked if he played Chris Ballard's – I think his name's – I know his last name's Ballard. I think his first name's Chris. Is not as a true freshman – I mean, he did some fairly impressive things, but he's still a true freshman. He's going to make a lot of mistakes. Because of that, uh, as much as it pains me, I'm going to go with K-State. Yeah, I don't I don't hate that pick. Uh, I'm going to go opposite of you. Again, maybe in some ways to pick up some ground. But I, I do think this, right? It's a home game. It's a rivalry game. So I think you – Crazy things happen a little bit. Um, I also think they're getting a little bit of a boost from a program perspective. Jalen Daniels came out this week announcing his social media that he is dedicated to KU, that he will be back next year, which I think is huge for that program. It's a young roster. They'll have a lot of weapons coming back. He also said, which I found very interesting, that I am going to come back with Coach Leipold. So I know he's been a hot name on the market with a lot of the vacancies, so I think that was – I don't think that was unintentional. Does that make sense? Like, I, I just – I don't yeah. think he would have said that or, or even announced that he was coming back if he didn't have some type of assurances that Coach Leipold was going to come back. Now, look, obviously all that can change, and coaches have said things to players before, but I think that is a steadying thing, right? And I don't know, man. I just think Kansas was going to come out and play as a very motivated football team. I don't know if they will win the game straight up. I hope they do. 
but I'd like him to cover the number at least. So yeah, I'm rock chalk Jayhawk, baby. Wave the wheat. Wave. The I'll wheat. be happy to be wrong on this one. I, I'll be rooting for Kansas. I'll be happy to be wrong. I hope they win the game, but it's I got to go with my head on this one. Let's go. Uh, game seven, big one in the Pac-12, my friend. We are going out to Corvallis, Oregon. Washington coming off a big home win against Utah, stays right in the meat grinder and got to play the Beavers uh, in Corvallis. The dude surprisingly or maybe not surprisingly given what we saw last weekend and the composition of oregon state's team dude, essentially a pick up half point so where are you sitting on this one okay let me ask you this where do you think i'm going with this i think you're a hundred percent taking oregon state you're exactly right i am a hundred percent taking oregon state and I, I just their defense is enough to slow down Penix in that offense just enough and i mean their defense can Washington's defense cannot stop a damn nosebleed right now. It is awful. Like their offense has to carry them in. At some point, that's going to catch up with them. At some point, it is, and I think it's this week. Corvallis is a tough place to play, and I just feel like that this is the week that it's going to catch up with them. I hope it doesn't. I I love their story. I love Michael Penix. I love that offense, but their defense is just it's bad. It's. I mean, it might. It might end up being historically bad for a team with this record. Yeah, man. I'm kind of with you. I, I think Washington has some warts, and I think they've started to show over the last six weeks. And as good as that offense is, as electric as it is to watch, and as good as Michael Penix has been. Look, man, weird things happen in Corvallis anyways. I mean, there have been some crazy things that have happened. It's a night game. Well, I guess technically it's 4.30 start there, but it will get dark as the game goes on. And I like what Oregon State's got cooking, man. I'm with you. I I like their defense. I like how they've played all year long. I think DJU is a good enough field general to to lead them to a win against this, this Washington offense, man, especially given I just, look, man, you shouldn't give up that many points in Utah. Utah's offense, it it ain't all that. And so that just gives me a lot of pause, man. And so I'm with you, man. I'm going to take the Beavers. I I think, I mean, obviously, given the spread, I, I think they're going to win straight up. I think they bust up Washington. And then what? The next weekend, Civil War. So, dude, Oregon State has an opportunity these next two weeks to really, really throw a wrench into the Pac-12's championship aspirations because they down – Washington, and then they down Oregon. Oregon goes in. Dude, I it, I think it almost eliminates the Pac-12 from playoff consideration if that happens. If they win these next two weeks, it it upsets the Probably. apple cart, I think. Probably. I mean, the only way that that happens – I mean, there had to be utter chaos. There had to be utter chaos. Sure, sure. Okay, what are we uh, – game, game eight? Game eight? Yeah, eight, eight. All right. Game eight, dude, this is an awful game, but we're picking it because it's a rivalry game, and it's one of the <laughs> the biggest rivalry games. Um, I think, dude, it's the game. So, Cal, Stanford. <laughs> dude, I love this game. I, I've, told you, have I told, I've told you this story before, right, that my dad used to get Sports Illustrated subscription, and so, yeah. like, when you would re-up the subscription, you would get certain VHS videos. Yeah, yeah. And one year he got this video called Last Second Miracles. And one of the games on the Last Second Miracles like thing, it's like an hour long video, is the the band is on the field. <laughs> so I've always been a little bit romantic about this game because of it, I think. So yeah. Um Cal is a six and a half point road favorite going into Stanford Stadium to play the trees. Um, we're just going to call them the trees since that's what their goofy mascot is. Uh, I know they're the Cardinal, but that's, uh, that's what we're going with. This is, um, yeah, I mean, again, this is on here because of rivalry and because of the band is on the field. And so where do you sit on this one? How far has Stanford fallen? I mean, let's, let's think about it. Yeah. Just in like the last, like four, I mean, just in the last like four years, I mean, pre COVID since COVID really pre COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were a formidable team and since COVID yeah. they've just plummeted. Yeah. Um, I mean, not that Cal's really that good, but Cal can at least score. So I'm going to take the, the golden bears. 
I think that they'll win and cover. Um, Stanford's just, I mean, they're they're not a good football team. They're just not. Yeah, man, that's a good point about Stanford. Like, you think about David Shaw and players they had. I mean, dude, Andrew Luck. Like, they, they had NFL guys yeah. year by year. Um, that program's I mean, they had TMC, t- too. Don't forget about Yeah, that program's in a tough spot, man. I will say this, too. Cal's record is not great this year, but they have played some people tough. And so I like them to go into Stanford and take care of business. I just don't think that Stanford team is good at all. Like, uh, and that is just not a good football team. So, yeah, I like Cal to go in there and win the game and – have themselves a nice time in Northern California on Saturday afternoon. All right, game nine. I'm interested in this one mainly because of what happened Saturday and where both programs are, okay? Florida is traveling to Columbia to play Mizzou. Mizzou just had a monster win over Tennessee. They were the featured game on SEC Inside this week. Did you see the thing where – Drink goes over to Hypel post game and says, We stand on business, Josh, but then like runs away like a scared little cat. <laughs> no, I, I heard about it. I didn't see it though. Yeah, the optics of it I thought were funny. He like goes over and he's all purposeful and he's like, you know, giving the like quick handshake and he's kind of got this one liner cooked up to tell Hypel, like, We stand on business, Josh, which I think would have had a lot more effect and a lot cooler if he'd kind of leaned into it a little bit. But he kind of said it and then did ran away as quickly as possible. <laughs> so, I don't know. It was it was a weird look, man. It's it's a, another one of countless examples of Eli just being a big doofus. So, yeah, huge win for the Tigers. <laughs> kind of an L for Eli, in my opinion. But anyways, I, I say all that to say this. A huge win for Mizzou. Mizzou is positioned to go 10-2 and two if they control what they should control. And really, I think, set themselves up to get a New Year's Six Bowl. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they got a lot in front of them. <sighs> Florida is – they got two chances. They, they could play Mizzou and they play Florida State to get bowl eligible. It has been a disaster of a year for the Gators. And uh, if Billy Napier's seat is not hot, I would be surprised just because of how much expectation that fan base has. Mizzou is a 10.5-point home favorite. It is a night game in Columbia. What's your feelings on this, man? I think we both think Mizzou is going to win the game, obviously, but do you think they come back out after a dominant performance against Tennessee and reassert their will again um, with Cody Schrader and that offense and kind of keep showing America, like, hey, we're real. Like, we are a very, very good football team. Or do you think they kind of, I don't know, take a breather a little bit and Florida makes this tighter than the experts think? I think Missouri dump trucks them. I think this is an absolute ass-kicking. But it's not so much because of how great Missouri is. It's because of how bad Florida is. I think I think Napier's lost the team. Um, I know they played, put up a lot of points last week, but who hasn't put up a lot of points against LSU? And I think the offense is going to do okay, but they're playing a much better defense this week. I think... Mertz is going to be pressured a lot, and that quick passing game is going to have to be very, very quick, but he's going to get some much better secondary this week. I mean, it's just I think their their offense is going to struggle to move the ball. They're not going to be able to run the ball well, and they're not going to be able to really score, and I think that that defense is just you know going to get shredded. I think uh, Corey Schrader and Luther Burden and um, – Mookie Cooper and Theo Weiss are just going to have field days. I, I think Brady Cook's going to be able to sit back there and just kind of, you know, pick who he wants to throw the ball to. And it's just going to be able to move the ball up and down the field. I, I do not think this is going to be pretty. It's going to be. And I still think that Drink, even though Dan Mullen's not there, still has that little bit of edge against Florida from what happened. I think it was the COVID year. Yeah. With like the, the like, maybe maybe the year after COVID, like the, the like. Darth Vader. Like, like fight the fit yeah yeah the darth the halloween game and he wanted to like fight the fans or whatever like sort yep. of the brawl before halftime or whatever that was yeah I, I still think he has that hate for florida so i i really think that they're gonna come out and just beat the tar out of him. dude i feel pretty secure saying this i think and it's not really close mizzou is the best football team that we played all year and dude i think they're legitimate i mean their defense is good cody schrader is probably the best story in college football, if we're having an honest conversation. I mean, you're talking about a D2 transfer 
that nobody had on their radar. And he is going to be, likely, the Southeastern Conference's rushing champion. Like, he's having a monster year. I think if he didn't set it, he was extremely close to setting a Mizzou record for most rushing yards in a game and maybe total yards in a game. Dude, he had over 200 yards rushing, over 100 yards receiving last weekend. I mean, it was an incredible performance. And, um, yeah, I mean, dude, he doesn't want any attention. I saw on the SEC inside, he told Drake, he's like, I don't care about the record. Like, it's about us. It's not about me. And so, like, I mean, how you not like a kid like that, right? And so, I just they they got a lot of good things happening. They're the exact opposite currently culturally of Florida, right? Like they are moving in the right direction, and Florida is moving in the wrong direction. And so, I'm with you, man. I I think they keep the momentum going. I think they understand what they have to play for, and I think it's business day for. Mizzou. I think they just keep that train trucking and they are going to thump Florida on Saturday. So yeah, I'm with you, man. I love them. Even with that big of a number, I think, I think they will come out and show out again. That offense is awesome. I really, really like watching that team. Okay. The big one, the most important one, homie. It makes me sad that this is probably the last year that this will be a guaranteed game, an annual game that we know we're going to see Georgia, Tennessee, I mean, homie, think about the history, man. It is my God a freshman. It's hobnail boot. It's dobnail boot. Like, it's it's so much, right? Just iconic moments throughout both of these programs. And we're just almost 99% not going to get it annually now. So take this in. Dogs going to Rocky Top. Going to be a whole lot of fun. CBS 330 game. If the dogs can... Take care of their business on Saturday. It'll be the third straight season of being undefeated in the Southeastern Conference, which is incredible, right? Three straight years, the dogs are 10-0 and to start the regular season. I mean, I know we probably sound like a broken record, y'all, but please don't take this for granted. Like, breathe this in, man. It's just incredible. Like, it is incredible what we are getting to experience as fans of our favorite team that this is where we're at as a program. And this is now the expectation and quote unquote the norm, even though I don't even want to put it that way because it's not normal in any way, shape, or form. It's not normal. It's just incredible, man. So, dogs are a nine and a half point road favorite going into Rocky Top. What you got in this one, brother? Before I go and talk about the game, I do want to say one thing is that you mentioned Dobbs nail boot. How great a story has Josh Dobbs been for the NFL this year? Like, I mean, yeah, back up in Cleveland, journeyman guy gets traded to Arizona, plays really what well, starts game one, only been there a couple weeks, plays great, then gets traded to Minnesota, is there four days, not going to start, their quarterback gets hurt, hey, it's thrown into the fire, doesn't even know the guy's names, leads them to victory, now the starter in Minnesota because they're down two quarterbacks. I mean, just a great story. And for all intents and purposes, he seems like a great kid, you know, so didn't like him when he played for Tennessee because he seemed to shred us, but, you know, um, all for all intents and purposes, seems like a great kid. And for Tennessee fans, I think that's what they're going to have to hang their hat on this week is, you know, this season really is the the greatness of Josh Dobbs and what he's going to do in the NFL this year because I don't see them winning this game. I don't see them really finishing the season strong. Um, I mean, I know they got Bandy after us, so they'll probably win that one. But for what their expectations were going into this yeah. season after last season, this season for them is considered a disappointment. And I don't think there's any way to spin that. They're, they're going to try to spin this into a positive. But Tennessee fans, I'm not talking about the realistic expectations from the media and everything like that. The fan base had realistic expectations that they were going to take the next step and compete for the SEC championship this year. And they fell flat on their face. And it really all fell apart when they lost to Florida. The defense, while improved, the offense came back down to earth. And you said all year that you thought as the season went on that the importance of Hendon Hooker was going to be noticed more and more and more. And it clearly was. This team became a running football team, not a passing football team like they were last year. Joe Milton just isn't it. I mean, he's got a cannon for an arm. He can throw it it 100 yards, but he can't throw it accurately. So, and that's been his MO the entire time. That's why Hendon Hooker was the starter over Joe Milton. I just don't think that Tennessee has the weapons 
to really stretch Georgia's defense. They'll probably score early on, like I said earlier, because that's our MO. And then I think Georgia's just going to take over this game and then run it straight down their throat, keep the offense off the field. And I think Tennessee's defense is going to be exhausted because of the way their offense is designed. And I think Georgia wins handedly, you know, three, four scores. Yeah, I think it's all dogs Saturday. I uh, I absolutely obviously agree with what you said about Tennessee and their offense. I think this year has been a case study in how important Hendon Hooker was to what they did last year. And obviously, you know, don't take um, – who's the wide receiver? Jalen Hyatt. I mean, don't don't take him Jalen out of the Hyatt. equation too. Right? I mean, you got – And Cedric Tillman. Electric- Cedric Tillman was the other one. <clears throat> and Cedric Tillman. And, you know, you have, you have great players, all three now in the NFL – that aren't there. And then the expectation is just, oh, well, it's 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 Josh Heupel's machine and it's going to work. And in some ways, I think that could be true. But I think he has to have a quarterback who is the, the right dealer for what they want to do. And Joe Milton's not that. And because of that, man, it, I just don't – I don't have a lot of nerves about Saturday. I think they will sack him multiple times. I think he will make poor decisions and turn the ball over two to three times um, that will then turn into points for the dogs. I just, man, this is one of those games that I think could get out of hand. I'm not saying 41, nothing, but it could be a dump trucking. Now I will caveat that it's a road game. And I think Kirby wants to get in and get out with a win. So it's not my expectation that they're going to try to light up the scoreboard. Um, I could very much see this being like a, 31 to 10 type game just because to your point we're going to run the football we're going to grind clock and we're going to get the hell out of here especially given how this field surface generally plays like we're not trying to take a lot of chances here we're just going to stay north and south and and get the hell back to Athens but um yeah I, I love the dogs this week I love how they're coming into shape I think it's now you know take care of your business on the road in Knoxville head to Atlanta, take care of Georgia Tech week of Thanksgiving, and then it's all eyes on Atlanta again, right? I mean, another monster matchup at the Benz with Alabama. And so, you know, dogs got everything in front of them, and I fully expect them to take care of their business and rock and roll. So, yeah, I think it's all dogs Saturday on Rocky Top, and I am fired up for it. So, all right, brother. Well, feels like 10-0 to me. You better look out. Well, I still have several uh, several games ahead of you. So, oh, I do want to say yeah. uh, say one thing. Um, this is not an official pick for our picks, but I I am going to predict uh, Texas getting upset this weekend. Just want to get that on the Ooh. record. I, I I almost I almost put that one on the list because I think that's a that's a that's a fun, interesting little game. Like Texas having to go to Ames. So yeah, I like that. I can get on board with that. Um, so all right, them homie. losing well, Brooks for the year. That, is a big loss for them. So yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. All right, homie. Well, I will, uh, I will look forward to texting with you once game time comes around and until then go dogs, go dogs. Hey, George is better now.